In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. Might solve a mystery or rewrite history. This is the story we need. It's a right as we kept out of sight for no more. So I'll read a book, or maybe two or three. It's such fun to hum a happy working song. Ooh, a happy working song. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's... It's not just in me, it is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney, your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Nackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. On this episode of Notably Disney, I bring on Lynn Barron, co-host of the Sweep Spot podcast, along with Ken Pellman, the two chronicle all things Disneyland, and feature a variety of interviews, cast member stories, and interesting tidbits about the happiest place on earth. So Lynn joins me to discuss creating the Cleaning the Kingdom book series that focuses on the lives of Disneyland's custodial cast members. Lynn, thanks so much for joining me today on Notably Disney. Glad to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brett. Well, Lynn, I'm really excited to talk with you about not only your background in working as a cast member and co-hosting the Sweep Spot podcast, which recently there was an episode on Disney books, so I definitely enjoyed that, but also your Cleaning the Kingdom book series. And I'm hoping we can maybe get started with, for listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with you or some of your work, could you talk about your connection to the Disney community as a former cast member? So I started it, so I grew up in Southern California and going to Disneyland my whole life, um, living maybe 15, 20 miles away. I was real familiar with Disneyland and I decided to get a job there in 1991 and I was a busser in a restaurant um, for Plaza Inn plaza pavilion and then the cast member restaurant uh the in between and i did that that was seasonal sort of like a part-time seasonal you worked full-time like during summer christmas spring breaks and then sometimes you'd be called in during the other parts of the seasons um if need be but i did that for two years and then um took a you know did something else and then came back in 1998 and went into custodial and I stayed there until 2007 and so that was when I that's kind of like my my Disneyland career part of it what were some of the motivating factors behind developing the sweep spot podcast because it's unique in the sense that it's co-hosted by people who have actually worked at the parks so you know being being a fan of Disneyland and working, being able to work there, uh, it didn't really spoil the magic. Some people would say that, you know, working um, and seeing behind the scenes of things like, you know, the Haunted Mansion and different scenes that I was able to walk through as a custodian um, would ruin it. But it actually made me more curious. And so just just knowing that and then leaving in 2007 because our family moved to Utah, um, I kind of started to miss being around it. And because even before I worked there, I had had an annual pass and was able to go you know, often. So all of a sudden not being able to go, I started to miss it. And 
I started the found podcast and I started listening to podcasts and there was one that stuck out to me which was Wedway Radio, um, with uh, Nate and Matt Parrish. Oh, and, of course, yeah, yeah. So I got to become friends just online with with Nate and he asked me if I wanted to write a blog for their uh, website. So I, I did that for maybe, I don't know, eight months to a year. And and my blog was centered around working at Disneyland, tied in with some history, because I like history. So I was doing that, and then the more I started listening to more and more podcasts, I started thinking, you know, I could do this. I'm not the best speaker. I don't think I have a radio voice, but... I, I have a passion for what I'm doing. And so I my first person was Ken, my co-host now, to ask to do it with me because I knew I wouldn't want to do it by myself. I'm just, I don't know, for my personality, I would need someone to talk off of. But I asked him, and he just couldn't commit. He said, I'll, I'll come on when I can, but I can't commit to a weekly or by by." Weekly, so I asked. Um, I knew that you know, just looking at my friends on Facebook, I saw that there was a woman named Laura who I worked with, and she uh, I knew she was really into history because there's a difference between working at Disneyland and just working there as a job and working there because you have a passion for, for the park and the history. And so I knew that she was, so I asked her, and she said, Yeah. So we did the podcast. I did it with her for almost a hundred episodes, and then she was unable to commit. And then had another um, uh, for a couple episodes. Had someone else fill in, and then Ken was able to commit, and that's where we are now. But yeah, the main the main thing was just because I wanted to be tied in again to Disneyland. Well, what's awesome about podcasting and blogging and YouTube channels? They're all these really need an innovative mechanisms for channeling our passion for yeah. different parts of the company. I have to ask, though, how did you come up with the the, the title of the podcast? Because oh. I think the, the sweep spot is just very clever. So talking to a, a friend that I worked with in Custodio, I was telling him what I was going to be doing. And he just came up with the name, just talking to him online and... Uh, I said, I like it, and that was it. <laughs> wasn't my doing. <laughs> well, in any case, uh, it rolls off the tongue, and yeah. you've been producing a lot of episodes. It's been about nine years now, is that correct? Almost. It's been, uh, yeah, since 2011 in March, so it's been just, just over eight years, and we're at, we just released episode 268 the other day, yeah. Well, what, what I appreciate as a listener of a lot of podcasts is trying to find the distinct aspects. And one thing that I, one element I would say that I think distinguishes yours is the fact that you both have that experience as cast members, but also it's very always refreshing when there's a wide variety of interview subjects and you bring on other podcasters and imagineers and cast members and a wide variety of voices after 250, 60 plus episodes, how how do you continue to find such such great content? I think the show's kind of evolved into what it is. I'd say for the past 50 or more episodes, is more we. <laughs> it's more rare now that we uh, that we don't have a guest. You know, than I mean it's. So we started off doing, because I wanted to go all the way around the park and talk history about every attraction at Disneyland ever has been or or is. And that was my goal. And I think we were getting pretty close to it. But there's about five things I could think of that we haven't touched on that are pretty big subjects that I've kind of been putting off. And Pirates, Caribbean's one, and the trains of Disneyland. So... Um, <laughs> those are ones I'm like every time I start to do research I'm like oh no like this is a lot of work but we we had done successfully went around and did history and then we'd have a guest now and then but now it's kind of flip-flopped and we have more guests and we've kind of gotten away from the history part which I I want to return to because there's some subjects that I think we can return to that um, Ken wasn't a part of um, he when when we did those certain attractions 
But we've been able to get some guests, and and all it took was, you know, everyone always says, how'd you get these guests? You know, and I don't know. It's just sort of, some of them just fell into into my lap, and then some I had to ask. And and all you have to do is ask some of these people, and most of the time they're always going to say yes. So, I mean, we were were very lucky we had Bob Gurr. We've had him on our show, I think, about four or five times, and Rolly Crump and uh, Tony Baxter. And uh, that was kind of a hookup with Ken. He he has his own story with Tony Baxter, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we just we've just been really lucky to have some of these guests, and then to have some of the former cast members that we worked with, and then um, some people after writing the book, which we'll get to later, uh, kind of brought more people. What I appreciate, as I said, is the the notion of you bringing those personal anecdotes and experiences and expertise really yeah. in, in working at the park. So could you maybe share with us how you developed the Cleaning the Kingdom series? Because we have seen over time certain books emerge on the market that cover perspectives from different folks within the company. But to look at the experience of cast members and in particular the custodial staff is, is kind of a, a niche. So how, how did that come to fruition? Well, it was pretty easy because talking to Ken every week or every, well, we were doing it weekly, but talking to him a couple times a month, uh, recording, it was, we just, you know, we're, we we have always had this friendship. I met Ken, we worked together, we met each other when I first started in 98 and have remained friends since. Um, but so it just sort of fell in. We just were talking more. And, and, and also when we worked there, I remember many times and. Um, Ken would say, "I need to be writing this stuff down. Someday, maybe we'll do a book." You know, and and, and <laughs> just that alone back then, I was thinking, "I'm never going to write a book." I mean, but uh, that's sort of how that happened. And then and then Ken kept mentioning it, and I sort of had to push him. I just thought, "We're going to do it. We're going to do it." And then so he was where we are, you know. And he was even surprised, and he just thought it was something that he would always talk about but not do, and. Um, I kind of pushed them into it, and we just started assigning each other. We came up with chapter names and started each started writing. And it was amazing how it happened because I was writing my – I live in Utah, and he, Ken lives in Anaheim, and I was writing my parts on Google Drive, and he was doing his, and we just keep doing it that way. And um, So what we did was we – we wanted to talk about our experiences working there because that was the whole. We 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 found that we had all these stories to tell, and we were telling them on the podcast. And and then um, the more you talk to people that you had worked with, we found that we were remembering things because you know you don't you don't <laughs> when you do you know you work at Disneyland or anywhere you just you don't really think of, you know, I need to remember this stuff. And so we just would talk about it and it helped remember some of the memories that we had. And, and some of the stuff was, as we were talking about it, was just crazy. And we just thought, wow, we got to write this stuff down. So we just started putting it into the book form, but um, it's just evolved into also adding in a little bit of some of the people that we talked to on a podcast some of their experiences a little bit because we didn't have any plans for a second book but at that point we just thought this is it so let's put it all in there and that's why the first book's 460 pages because <laughs> we thought that this is it yeah so so easily easily readable right before bedtime right 400 plus pages <laughs> and, and the good thing about these books is that it's something that you could just jump into anywhere you don't have to read it from you know cover to cover it can just be if if you find an interest in a certain chapter, you can just read about that. Yeah, absolutely. In in fact, I was going to to make that connection. Um, recently on the podcast, we had uh, Dr. David John Marley, who wrote the Skipper Stories books, mm-hmm. and very similar from the standpoint of that there are general chapters with common themes, or or in your case, um, people. But there's little chunks and pieces that are easily readable if you just want to take five minutes here to to check out a particular aspect of the, the life of a custodial cast member, for instance. Yeah. And and a lot of people, 
when when I first brought the idea to just some friends and family, even um, they just they just thought, how is that going to be appealing to someone? You know, your time working it, and and as Disney fans, some there's we found out there's many people that were interested, and um, I think it's because especially for custodial, uh, we were able to to go behind the scenes. We were able to um, walk through the attractions at night after they closed down. Maybe we weren't able to, but we we did, <laughs> and and we were and no one would ever question us if we were going somewhere because they just figured oh they got to go clean something so. We were able to go behind the scenes, and that stuff was of interest to a lot of people. And then just being out in the area, sweeping or dumping trash or something, you're you're just out there with the guests, and you're not stuck at a you know at an attraction entrance or you know putting people in rows in an attraction or behind a counter. You're just out among the guests, and so you're you're out there with. Yeah. Well. I- and I get the sense too, because uh, the 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 second title in the Cleaning the Kingdom series is Night, Day, Past, and Present. So you you also attend to the notion of that there are a lot of custodial staff or cast members who work at night and don't necessarily uh, have the same type of experience as most of us who who wander around the park and have those direct interactions with cast members. But indeed. It seems like based on what you relayed and and the stories that were shared that here are folks who are really working around the clock and and making sure that everything is, you know, in tip top shape and and efficient and clean. Yeah, so that part of the second book. So the second book came because after we wrote the first book, we all of a sudden started getting all these emails and messages on Facebook of of other cast member, uh, custodial cast members that work there and said, Oh yeah, you got to hear about this. You have to hear about this. And then, and then night custodial cast members approached us. What about night custodial? You know, we have a ton of stories. What about the bussers that bust the tables that were part of custodial? Um, because that's, that's kind of, there was busing that was for the, like the, um, the fast service rest restaurants, the, Mm -hmm. Those those were mostly under custodial back then, not not when I worked there, but before that, and and then the restaurants like Blue Bayou or Plaza Inn, those were part of the restaurants. But but we got all these people with all these stories that they wanted to tell, and then that's how the second book came about. So we we thought, yeah, I bet Night Crew does have a lot, and and we're finding even more stories now, even after the second book was written, um, of people coming out and. Saying, oh yeah, well you got to hear about this, you know. And so, I think having a podcast brought out more people, and then the first book brought out more people that wanted to tell their stories. And so, as long as people have stories to tell, I think we'll probably keep writing. <laughs> well, and an interesting element of of this book is that you f- focus primarily on on four different cast members. Uh, working in, in custodial, but you cover a wide period of time, really since the early days of Disneyland. What what was it like to be able to really cover so much? No, no pun intended. Cover so much ground in <laughs> in yeah. Disneyland history, because I, I feel like hearing some of these stories, I was transported back into the fifties. Not that I lived during that period, but right. because of some of the references to. You know, the park being only open a few days a week or some of these other uh, notable elements of the early days of Disneyland. That sort of came about also from just talking to some of the old, I say the old timers, some of the guys that were there in the in the 60s and um, 70s that that wanted to tell their stories. And then they in the, then we became more and more familiar with uh, the founder, Chuck Boyajan. And he um, is a uh, Disney legend and also has a window on Main Street. But um, we thought, yeah, he was the first, you know, the one to really start. He and Tom Ropa were really the ones to start the custodial department. So we have to start there. And so they're both not here anymore. But I ended up talking to both of their 
daughters and got some more information and and then talked to people that actually worked with them. Um, and so like Chuck, he, he was there and Tom, they were there in 1955. The custodial department, there wasn't really a department. Walt had outsourced the cleaning part of it um, to an outside company. And they found out right away that this company is not equipped for what Disneyland was. And, and no one knew really what it was, right? It was one of the first type of theme parks like it is. And so being so unique, I mean, how would you go about cleaning something like that? You know, so they found out right away that there has to be a different way. And uh, Chuck stepped up and he just, you know, said, I have a way of doing this. And Walt said, go ahead. So then they kind of took over some of the employees from that company and trained them in the ways that Chuck had and Tom had come up with on how to clean the park. And so a lot of those ways that they uh, brought to the park um, are still being used today. And that was in 1955. A lot of the techniques and the ways that the reason the parks are all so clean and the standards are so high is because of those two guys. And so we had to feature them in our book for sure. You could call them the godfathers of <laughs> custodial, I guess. Well, and, and certainly honoring uh, as uh, whether a Disney legend or in the form of the windows on Main Street is right. so symbolic of their the, the monumental foundation that they established in yeah. the, really how Disneyland operates. Right. And, you know, Chuck could walk around with Walt. Uh, they both would. They'd walk around with Walt and Walt would point out things and they'd take notes. And, and he knew that Walt's standards were high, wanted to clean, um, you know, super clean park and a safe place. So they just took what they, you know, learned from him and what his standards were and what, his, what he wanted and kind of adapted that. And, and, of course, they probably, you know, sure they learned a lot along the way um mistakes and things but i'd say for the most part everything's pretty much stayed similar to the way they introduced it back then well and the high standards for uh, for excellence really stemmed from how walt wanted to create an environment that was idealistic like his animated films but also not necessarily having some of the the flaws of amusement parks of the era and one one thing that I recall from both your book and also different stories that have been shared over time is that during the earliest days of Disneyland, Walt was basically asked, okay, do you want drinking fountains or or toilets that were operating well, right? Yeah. And and Walt <laughs> said, you know, let's let's make sure the bathrooms are, you know, functional and that people can use them because people can just buy soda. They don't necessarily need... Uh, right. The, the fountain water what what was in in hearing some of these stories from the the daughters of both chuck and tom what was perhaps the the funniest thing that you gleaned from their days in in establishing custodial well one example of their high standards was that i learned that um they would walk around with those um dental mirrors those little mirrors on a like on a stick that a dentist oh, yeah. might use to look in your mouth they would use those to look underneath the toilets and the urinals to see if they've even cleaned underneath so i thought wow like that's <laughs> I, i'm glad they don't do that today but <laughs> <laughs> or at least when i work there but um that's just amazing right there. And and a lot of people, from what I learned, they were really intimidated by, especially by Chuck. But it, you know, come to find out that he was just, he just had these high standards and he, he knew what he wanted and he was going to get it because he knew that Walt wanted that. So he, when he did, but when he was, you know, he had a heart and he loved his employees and he was, he took care of them and he really had a passion for Disneyland and that's, um, that definitely showed by talking to, you know, the people that actually worked under him during that time. Um, you know, they said, yeah, he was very strict, but he was he was a great boss. You know, and and I guess that's what your ultimate goal is is to um, 
you know, to make sure that your employees, you know, are doing what they're supposed to, but also have the respect from them, too. Gotcha. So when thinking back to your own experiences, how, and I recognize that things have changed over time with expansions, but how how many people were working in custodial when you were at Disneyland? I think it was around 500, but that's including the night custodial. Um, so I don't know. You could probably cut that in half, I guess, by day and nights. But there's probably a little bit more night custodial, I would think. But um, in, So each area was divided up into, like, you know, like areas like Main Street, Adventureland. Well, Adventure, back then, Adventure Frontierland was, the, was one area. Um, they've changed them just recently. But... So just to kind of give you an idea, though, like Main Street, we would have a sweeper at the town square, and then we'd have, um, on busy days, and we'd have a um, center street sweeper, and then we'd have a hub. And so there'd be three sweepers, and then we'd have one or two trash that would dump the trash cans. Um, so we'd have about four to five, six people in each area at one time. Plus a lead, which is what Ken and I were, which we were, we'd respond to calls from the office. Um, the office would get calls from, say, a store or an attraction saying we have a spill here or um, a code V. <laughs> but we would then, re, you know, respond with our radios and say 10-4 and we go to that location and take care of it or send someone there to take care of it. But um, that kind of gives you an idea of, of how many people in each area at one time and then you know times all the areas in the park yeah well and it was very helpful in reading the book that you have a glossary at the end that illustrates what some of the common codes are and and also different terms that people refer to in in your own in thinking about back to your own training how did you come to remember all these phrases and expressions because some of them are not necessarily intuitive no uh, they gave us little cards that had everything written on there, and most of the codes were codes that were used by police um, and, and you know enforced law enforcements and stuff. Um, but also uh, some of the ones like code H would be you know horse or human. You know you can <laughs> figure figure that out. But um, code V was for you know vomit or so. We had these different ones that that we would. You just kind of learn after a while, um, but those three, then the, oh, the code U. So those three were the ones that were mainly used for the different codes, but they mainly did that because the reason they had the codes was because they didn't have the ear, little uh, headsets, little earpiece for the radios. They just had the oh, speaker yeah. on the radio, and they didn't want the guests hearing um, you know, <laughs> some of this stuff, so... So they would just use a V or a U or an H um, in the code part so the guests wouldn't know what was going on. Plus, if you're walking by a restaurant and you hear, yeah, you have some vomit over here in the, you know, you didn't want (laughs) to. So, yeah. I was going to say, I I remember one term that I had learned years ago was the notion of a protein spill. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a much better way of framing it, right? Right. I don't know, though. I at first I, I always thought, what does that mean? Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and there's a medical cleanup, and that could go two ways too. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and importantly, you have warnings situated in different yeah. spots of the book to give people a heads up that there might be some things that are gross, so you might yeah. want to skip to the next part. Yeah, that was Ken's idea. <laughs> mm. Well, then I yeah, definitely give them credit for that. But right. n- nonetheless, I think that was uh, very apt. And one really fun component of this entry, this book, is the, the notion of a whole chapter on restrooms at Disneyland, including pictures of the signage. So yeah. how, I, I guess, and recognizing that the some of the locations have changed, or in case of like Galaxy's Edge now, there's... Um, different spots, but what d- d- are your memories of of restrooms tainted now because of having worked in the parks and having a much more um, in depth uh, experience in them as opposed to people's typical processes of just coming and going? 
Yeah, I think so. That's kind of how the that chapter came about. I I thought we well we did a. a a podcast episode on restrooms and talked about not only the procedure in the first book, we go over the procedures that we use to clean them. I mean, it just sounds so simple clean a restroom, but it, it's a lot more than that. And so we kind of went over that. And then we also talked about the different restrooms and what they had in them and what made each one unique. But, um, but I, and that became a really popular episode. We had a lot of compliments. I thought, wow, more people are interested than restrooms than I thought. So, I, I thought we gotta include something in the book, so I came up with this idea to because I as as any Disney fan might notice, Disneyland or Disney Park fan would notice that the restrooms aren't just a plain painted restroom. They they actually have theming to them. And so I wanted to focus on that and and some of the restrooms maybe aren't not all of them are are uniquely themed. Um so in the book, I do have photos of the restrooms that I thought were uniquely themed because there are some I have just listed, and those are just mainly like just a plain tiled restroom. And I'm sure a lot of thought went into the colors of those, but they're not as themed as, say, the uh, prince and princess, the queen and uh, king restroom. Actually, it's called now. Um, across from the Matterhorn that has the uh, the cards. Yes. Alice in Wonderland. Store. Yeah, exactly. That's that's one of the first like really big ones that they did when they started theming them. But um, then I talk about some of the restrooms that aren't there anymore, like the uh, the ran- the Big Thunder Ranch had had a big barn there as part of the decor. Um, it's back be- it used to be back behind Big Thunder Mountain, and they had restrooms in there, and it looked like you know it was all wooden inside. It kind of looked like you were in a in a barn inside the restrooms. <laughs> so I have uh, found some old pictures of those and put them in there. I, I was going to say what, what's funny too is just the silhouettes of some of the characters to oh, illustrate yeah. like cowgirls and cowboys. And uh, I, I think and even with Toontown, with the, the notion of who framed Roger Rabbit. So there's some clever uses of yeah. characters or character types to illustrate uh, those different spaces. Yeah, I, I just find that fascinating how they do all that. I mean, like like I said, I'm sure there's Imagineers that are working on restrooms. <laughs> you wouldn't think, you know, you think as an Imagineer, you're, you're probably just, you know, working on attractions. But they work on everything from stores to restaurants to, you know, restrooms. So there's a lot of thinking that goes on to every aspect of the park, Not even the trash cans. You know, we talk about about that and how even the the trash cans are themed and fit the area. Well, and and it's funny to think of something as niche as trash cans having some sort of representation outside of the parks. But I think back to probably like four years ago on the Disney Store website, I picked up salt and pepper shakers that are in the form of the Disneyland trash cans based yeah. on the different lands. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's a totally apt uh, way of illustrating that. People care about all the details in the parks, even something like a trash can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they have a pin set. Uh, I don't know, actually. I don't know if that pin set went public. I know that they they sold it to cast members, but yeah. And then for our logo for our podcast, we have the you know the Adventureland trash can for our main logo. But yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how much care went into the when we worked there. How much care went into making sure that if the logo was peeling or, or or scraped off a little bit. I mean, they would literally take the trash can, we'd take it off stage and they'd repaint them and at the paint shop and then put them back out. So it was something that just wasn't done in the beginning and then they fell apart. It was like they were constantly maintaining the look of each trash can and and strategically where they're placed. And I mean, there's a lot more that went on to it that I even, I didn't even know until I got into the custodial. Well, it just shows that on the surface, perhaps certain elements of the park or experiences might be pretty basic, but there's a lot of complexity and thought put into everything as as demonstrated by your saying that just even the placement of where trash cans are, everything has a purpose and place. Right. And, th- and that's just another thing that I learned, you know, being a Disneyland fan, bef- um, didn't know that before I worked there. And then... Um, 
being in custodia would learn to appreciate that a lot more. Well, one anecdote that I thought was really fascinating was uh, in the Harry Hemhauser chapter, you, you talk about how Disneyland, Disney Parks custodial staff are so revered and in in different settings and the the context being with the Pocahontas premiere at, in Central Park back in 95 and and you relay a, a note that the, the mayor, which who would have been Giuliani at the time, wanted wanted the custodial staff to stay because they were so thorough and and efficient with things. H- have you heard feedback from in from other cast members or in other contexts where the Disney custodial staff are so appreciated because of their training and and how much thought they put into their work? Not not really. I know that one of our you know we were always called the world famous Disneyland custodial so. I think that everyone kind of knew that, you know, that this was, and I think that's just knowing that history is kind of what, what made you want to exceed, you know, and um, help keep the park clean because there was a tradition to, to hold up to. And um, so I don't, I don't necessarily, I mean, we get compliments from guests that would say, wow, you guys, you guys keep this place really clean. And, and even the restrooms, we get compliments on. And I, and I never really thought about it until um, you think about how many people would visit a restroom in one day. And, um, you know, you could probably go in the restroom, some of them, and you might say, wow, this is messy. I thought Disneyland kept it up clean, but if you were to look at it 10 minutes later, it would be clean because we were supposed to come in every, every hour they're clean. So if you came in, you know, after 45 minutes of, uh, it was clean 45 minutes ago, you know, just wait five, wait 15 more minutes and it'll be, it'll be super clean again. But um, I always just thought that that was amazing how, how many people visit the park and how clean you can keep it. Indeed. Well, before we conclude with some final Disney-related questions, I have to ask you, third book, if if it's on the horizon, what what could be the content? Because I, I certainly have some thoughts and ideas. It was really fun to, to read through these stories and think of, oh, you know, this was great, but let's let's explore this aspect next time. Oh, yeah, we'd be open to it. We don't really have a we, – we don't even really have a set plan to do one, but um, – I think that if we did, it would just be more stories from, and maybe not to go back as far as we did, but maybe explore some of the cast members that were there in the 70s, 80s, and maybe even 90s, just um, more than, you know, and those might be easier to find, some of those. I mean, I do, I know they are, but uh, maybe in that aspect. But then also, I think I'd be open to hearing other people's suggestions because, um I'd be curious to know what 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 people what else people want to know about it. Well, I I certainly would be fascinating to learn more about. And you touch on it at different points in the book, as far as with some of the changes, but with California Adventure, and and how that has shaped the overall, I guess, distribution of cast members and, oh, and yeah. resources. Um, also, I think the voices of female custodial staff would be really appreciated too. Yeah, that's that's. You know, that's not a bad idea because I think that when we made that switch, when I first started there, it was just Disneyland and there were talks of a, a new park. And I'm sure the plans were already, you know, in place at that point. But but it wasn't really talked about until I'd say about a year or two before it opened. And about 99 was when talks started coming around the department and they didn't know how they were going to do it. They knew that it, and then they figured out it has to have because everyone's under a union and they figured out because they're probably going to have to have a separate contract because it's under different conditions and different areas. So if they had their own contract, then we couldn't switch back and forth. Now some departments can, I think security is one of them, but, um, but we just knew that our department wasn't going to be able to do that. So we had to make a choice if we wanted to stay or if we wanted to go to the new park and, they would so we had an appointed time that you showed up and they'd look at your seniority and they 
they'd say, well, if you stay at this point, so they call everyone in according to their seniority. So like the first, the number one guy would come in first and so on. And by the time they got to you, they knew what everyone below, you know, ahead of you was going to do. So then they could tell you, if you stay at this point, you're going to be number, you know, 70 in seniority. But if you go to California Venture, you'll be number 20. So then, you know, we had to make a choice. And at that point, no one really knew what was going to happen with California Venture. And it was sort of, if, to me, it felt like a risk. Like, well, what if they cut the hours down? You know, they close at like 5 o'clock. Or what if they clo- close on the weekdays? Or, you know, and I thought, man, then my hours would be shut down, you know, cut. So I decided to stay. And that and just the love I had for just the original park. But um, there was a little bit curiosity of maybe going and and being able to be at a higher position because at that point I had only been in Custodio for you know about two years so uh, yeah it was real interesting though to be there during that time and see people that I worked with leave and go over there and uh, see so it would be interesting to talk to some of those cast members even the ones that I worked with that ended up going over there and talking about their experience and how that went down That'd be cool. Well, I have a possible title for you. It could be leaving the clean, leaving the kingdom to clean the state. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. But, <laughs> no need for credit, but um, oh, yeah. in any case, pleasure to really get a deep dive into particular aspects of the parks, because for those of us who maybe haven't been cast members to realize the level of detail involved in in particular roles and i think like i said the glossary is a a great representation of that complemented by the stories really helps tell the stories so thanks for your you and and ken's role in in being able to relay those anecdotes yeah you're welcome that's fun well we've now reached the point in our episode where i ask you the guests some uh disney related questions so it is time for our segment called ask my questions and get some answers and this includes three standard music-related questions, two standard book-related questions, and then a random Disney question that okay. is customized uh, based on our particular topic for today. So, when are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. First up on the music front, what Disney soundtrack did you listen to most while growing up? <sighs> wow. You don't think these are going to be hard questions, and then now you have to remember back, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, well, we are st- we're, we're all still growing up, right? We're eternally <laughs> children because we love Disney, right? So, Is that the movie soundtrack, or could it be, a, a, it could any, be anything. Soundtrack? anything? Well, two come to mind that aren't movies is um, the Country Bear Jamboree. They had a record out, and do you know you're familiar with that? They had a record uh-huh. that had the show on it and had some other stuff but um that i listened to a lot and then the america sings um the show that they had in tomorrowland they had a, a record out for that too and i liked all the music for that but as far as a movie i was the first one that came to mind when you said that was peter pan so ah interesting okay well i'm sent i definitely sense the theme with sev- 70s era disneyland attractions there <laughs> so that's pretty sweet yeah yeah what's something you- about the uh, something about um you know your first few visits to to a disney park um, that sticks with you so i think that's what it was lasting impressions that's a lot of with (laughs) our childhood so now thinking just in 2019 so what disney song most recently got stuck in your head (laughs) good or bad no um (laughs) I want to say, you know, and I can't think of the titles, but there's a song in Moana that that I think is really good. Um, what is that song? It's the uh, How Far I'll Go. Yes, yeah. Okay. I there's a lot one. to choose from, but it's very catchy. <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, that one just recently has been one that I appreciate, and because there's other been stuck in my head that I don't necessarily like, but that one I do. <laughs> very cool. So your next music-related question is, what Disney film do you feel has the most underrated music? 
music. Wow. Um, I don't know about underrated. I'm trying to think what can be considered an underrated um, music because I like Nightmare Before Christmas. I know that that's not like a necessarily. I guess it is Disney, but um, I don't know. I can't think offhand. Maybe Roger Rabbit. <laughs> that can count. Yeah. 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 I think the Rocketeer is another one that uh, has some amazing music in it, and those themes stick in your head a lot. And I don't know if people are. I think that might even be an underrated film too. Oh yeah, definitely count the, yeah. the James Horner score is is quite yeah. strong. Oh yeah. So on the book front, so what is the most recent Disney book that you've read? I just finished reading the 55ers by David Koenig. We had him on our show just the uh, last episode, but I had just finished that one, and that's a great book. Awesome. Yeah, another one to add to our list. Yeah. And then uh, certainly as an author, this one might have particular significance, but if you could write a Disney book on any topic – Besides what you've already covered, I should say, what would it be about? <laughs> wow, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's so many books out there right now that are about, I guess, all the big attractions. I guess I would want to dive deeper into some of the mo- more on popular attractions that behind the scenes, and to maybe, you know, what I think I'd want to do a book on 1967 Tomorrowland. Oh wow, that'd be awesome! Yeah, now I think about it, that that would be because I was thinking the People Mover, and then I thought of um, I really like the Adventures through um, Inner Space, and then I thought, wait a minute, that's those are both sixty-seven attractions. So, yeah, I think I would like to do that. That'd be cool. I was gonna say when you first mentioned the notion of unpopular attractions, I'm like, would people read two hundred pages about Casey Junior Circus Train? So, I know. That's what <laughs> I was thinking too. I thought, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Whatever strikes your fancy. Yeah. fancy. I, I like the notion of Tomorrowland 67. Yeah. So your last question, when so this is a random one. What cast member role at Disneyland, other than folks in custodial, do you feel is most special in connecting with guests? Probably uh, guest relations. I think that they have an opportunity to make a guest day because we we would send them, uh, especially the angry ones, we would send them to City Hall. If we couldn't fix their problem, like we were always told we need to do everything we can to try to fix their problem. But if we just absolutely couldn't, we would say, well, you know, maybe you can go and speak to the people at City Hall. So I'm sure, and I know that they got a lot of angry guests in there and they, they had an opportunity to turn that around. And I know they have the means to do that. Uh, more than we did, um, we had some, some ways, but I think that that's a good way because you can make a guest day, you know, a bad day, you can turn it around for them, um, for the most part. Obviously, you can't make everyone happy, as you know, <laughs> but I think that would be a good one. I was going to say that could also apply as a title for a book about guest relations. You can't make everyone happy. The story of Disneyland guest relations <laughs> cast members. One. Yes, yes, that's a great title. Or you can't make everyone happy at the happiest place that are yeah. on Earth. Yeah. But, um, no, that's, that's a great point as far as guest relations staff. So finally, Lynn, how can listeners find the Sweep Spot podcast, get a hold of the Cleaning the Kingdom series, and get in touch with you on social media? So our podcast can be found anywhere podcasts are found you know, through Apple Podcasts, um, Stitcher Radio, iHeart, um, just any of the places where you find uh, podcasts. If you do find a format that doesn't have our podcast, I'd be interested to know where so we could try to get it there. But um, also, so and then our website is the Sweep Spot. So it's like you're sweeping, uh, sweepspot.com. And you can find all the information there. But we also, at our website, have autographed copies of both books. Um, you, we have a deal where you could buy both books, um, and then I'll send those together. And those come from me, my house, and Ken signed it, and I'll, I'll sign it. Um, 
And if that's something maybe you just don't want, but you just want to buy it, it's at Amazon um, to buy. And we have a Kindle version for both books and an audio version for the first book, but we don't have the audio yet. And that's narrated by Ken, and I did uh, the recording part and editing, but Ken did all the uh, reading of the first book. And we are we do have plans because we had a, at D23 Expo, we had a lot of people asking when the audio book was coming out. So as much work as it is, um, Ken did agree to read the second book. So we just need to get started on it, but that will be come sometime, I'm guessing, the next year. But um, that's where you can get the books. And as far as social media, um, like I said, we have the website, and then we have uh, Twitter. I'm Lynn Sweet Spot um, is my handle on Twitter. Or you can go to Facebook and just search the Sweet Spot, and we have um, a Facebook group and a page on there. And we also have a Cleaning the Kingdom um page on facebook also and instagram i think it's just the sweep spot and that's about it well i, I think you need us to just start an instagram account of the different disney trash cans and restroom signs so that oh, might be yeah. your next task <laughs> Ooh, i like that yeah okay <laughs> well lynn uh, th- thanks so much for for coming on notably disney and sharing your experiences both working at disneyland and also the the stories you're able to help tell via the cleaning the kingdom series so thanks again yeah thanks for having me on i'm glad that i was able to connect with you and when i first listened to your podcast i thought oh i want to be on that (laughs) because it just it just sounds so interesting it sounded right up our alley of what you know what what we're kind of doing so great thanks brett And thanks again to Lynn for joining me on Notably Disney as a preview of what's ahead on this podcast for the month of October, keeping up the trend of one new episode every Tuesday. And this will include a limited series, which I am entitling Epcot Essentials. We're going to dive into the books, music, and the future of Epcot as it pertains to all the exciting attractions and experiences. Aaron Wallace, you know him as a really renowned podcaster and author, he'll be joining me for that series, and there will be a lot of other great content in the weeks ahead. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at Reports. That's B-N-A-C-H M-A-N reports, and be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably, Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.